Hey folks, welcome back to Indaba Africa. This is Chris on Chris White Africa on the Indaba Africa channel coming to you live from Central Pennsylvania. Yes, I am wearing a rugby shirt today. It's not a jersey though. This is uh, from the Rugby World Cup from the William Webb Ellis collection. Check it out. Pretty nice, huh? Yeah, from Japan. Nice embroidered quality. I think I've worn it on the program once before. But uh, anyway, a little more serious uh, topic today, talking business with my special feature guest today. And by the way, if you haven't noticed, it's Thanksgiving here in the United States. Ooh, Thanksgiving. It's the day of the year in which we give thanks for all that we have and are grateful for what we have. And um, it's a result of a very long time ago in early American history when colonial settlers in New England were on the verge of starvation and Native American tribes who were friendly brought them food and sustenance so they could survive. And uh, we remember this day as a consequence of that. Anyway, so that's, uh, that's today. It's a holiday, and here I am working to bring you guys something interesting. And I do have a very interesting topic today. I hope that uh, folks find it appealing and that we get a good audience, or at least a, a large audience after the fact that watch this. But my special feature guest today is uh, from the macadamia nut uh, industry. <laughs> What's that, the macadamia nuts? Well, they're quite an interesting nut, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. We're going to talk about South Africa, its role. And this is, a, I think, an upbeat story. It's all about good news for South Africa for a change, where South Africa leads the world in something, and some Something actually wonderful. All right, so with that, I'm going to welcome my guest, and this is Liesl Pretorius. Welcome, Liesl. How are you? Hi, Chris. Thank you very much. Good in you. Ah, Thanks sorry. for the opportunity. No, it's my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the channel. It's a pleasure. I've been, uh, you've been very busy, and um, it's very kind of you to take the time out. I've been trying to set this up for some time, and happy to have you on now. So uh, let's talk about this just a little bit. A couple things up front. You were with the South African Macadamia Nut. Growers Association, correct? You're the CEO? Yes, I'm Liz Alpritouris. I'm the CEO of um, Macadamia South Africa, um, obviously representing um, our South African macadamia farmers um, and obviously doing for them things that, that's quite important for the industry as well as our farmers. Well, it's kind of interesting for me because I, when I think of when I think of farming, I, I mean, I don't really think of orchards and, and, and apple trees. I mean, that is farming. But to, to me, of course, having been a dairy farmer, I'm thinking of cattle and sheep and goats and chickens and and maize and things like that. But in fact, it is it is a farm. It's part of the farming industry. Um, you've got trees and nuts grow on them. And that, that's the product. Uh, macadamia nuts uh, don't come from South Africa, though. If I'm not mistaken, they come originally from Australia. Yeah, you're totally correct. It comes from Australia and obviously from there it went to Hawaii and back and then um, South Africa started planting um, very low uh, volumes in terms of hectares. But if I look at the past 17 years, um, we grown more than 390% in terms of the number of hectares that we expanded. So, yeah, and we continue each year with at least, um, if I look at last year, we expanded with um, additional almost 6,000 Wow, that, well, that's uh, something I want to mention. So even though it's relatively small in terms of, of, of hectares that are planted, that are under cult cultivation, I guess that's the right term. Uh, nonetheless, South Africa is the world's largest exporter of macadamia nuts. How does that happen? <laughs> We can do some things very, very, very good. And apparently we can do macadamia nut production exceptionally well. So, yeah, we've definitely, if I look at the past two years, um, we, um, I, if I can call it, took over Australia in terms of production. And um, last year our crop was just over 59,000 tons. Um, so we were the biggest producer if we look at the last two years um, specifically and this year as well. 
Well, I have no objections to you overtaking Australia. No objections whatsoever. Of course, the, the macadamia nut industry didn't exist. These, these nuts were in Australia. Animals would eat them. Some people would eat them occasionally. And then they were exported to Hawaii in the 19th century. And the commercial macadamia nut industry started in Hawaii. And for about a century, we were the world's largest producer of macadamia nuts here in the United States. But Australia overtook us about 2000, I forget it was, but not, not all that long ago. But they didn't hold the title for very long because South Africa has overtaken Australia. So now South Africa is the world's largest producer of macadamia nuts and exporter. It's, it's quite a, it's an interesting title. And I, I think a lot of people eat macadamia nuts, really enjoy them. I'll be honest, I'm more a pistachio person, not not really a macadamia nut. That doesn't help your industry. Sorry about that, Liesl. But, uh, but, uh, you need to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll have to convert me and you have to turn yeah. me. But, uh, but, uh, but macadamia nuts are compared to a lot of other nuts actually quite lucrative uh, because they're they're very expensive compared to many nuts. Is that not true? Yes, Chris, they are. Um, I almost want to say we see the macadamia nuts. Um, if you look at the total nut basket, um, we less than two percent of the total nut basket, and that makes us sort of a niche market, you know, and a niche product and associated with that you're busy consuming a niche product. So we've been very thankful and lucky for exceptionally well prices compared to other nuts, other three nuts. Well, that's interesting. You mentioned that of the nut basket. I actually looked up the figures and yeah, it is less than 2%. It's 1.42% is the most recent data that I found uh, of all the nuts produced in South Africa. So even in South Africa, even though it's 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 massive for global scale uh, by comparison, it's a rather small product in South Africa. And in fact, along those lines, I understand that less than 2% of the nuts are consumed domestically. So your domestic market is, is quite small and you rely heavily on the export market, which I imagine kind of leaves you vulnerable to commodity price swings. Yes, Chris, um, like you said, about 2% goes into our local market. And if you ask the question why, um, if you look at the South African currency, our rand value is very low. So farmers, by exporting earns dollars, euro, and the Chinese currency. So we quite focused on exports. If I look at um, our nut in shell, we quite focus on going to China. Um, and our kernel markets are more centered around um America as well as in Europe. So that's all the markets we're currently in, but we're obviously busy with plans to look at new markets to also start moving into. Well, actually, I think it's a good point, and, and it's a key distinction there for people not familiar with the industry, which would be most of us. <laughs> so, so you've talked about two different things. You talk about kernel, and you talk about nut and shell. So, the distinction there being is that, for instance, when I go to to pick and pay, and I buy a, a can of um, pistachios or macadamia nuts, and I open them up, and the shell is gone. It's just the nut inside there. They may they may or may not have been roasted, depending on the type of nut, but they're they're or salted or whatever. But they're there inside a container or a plastic sack satchel. Whereas um, the the in nut and shell is like when I think of pistachios all the time where they dye them red, not that you don't dye macadamia nuts red, but, but they're, they're still in the shell. And then, and then the consumer pulls the shell off and eats the nut. Uh, as I understand it, um, the big market for that so far is uh, China. The Chinese prefer the nut and shell. Yes, Chris, they definitely do. And I think if I can say one reason for that, there's many reasons, but one of that, it's quite a traditional way how they, you know, consume the nut. They've got like a little key, that they open the nut, you know. So that still plays a huge um, reason why they prefer nut in, um, in shell and not kernel. But we do see the 
future that, especially with your youngsters, your millenniums um, or Generation Z, that it might there might be a, a greater demand for the kernel, you know, to easy consume instead of having a long process to go through. Of course, as a consumer, it's always clever. You need to make sure when you look at the weight when you're buying something, because uh, especially nuts, because whether it's nut and shell or kernel, there's a significant difference in the weight. So, so if you're buying nut and shell, it may be a bigger bag, but you're probably getting less nuts. But yeah, so you just have to be a wise consumer when it comes to that. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's your three biggest markets. I mean, you when I say not you yourself, but South Africa, it's uh, the United States, Europe, and then China at this point. Is that correct? Yes, it is. We are to a lesser degree, and it's really such small percentages that it's not really worth mentioning. Um, do send to other countries, but it's very, very small volumes, you know. Um, and I think a lot of the countries, um, if I look specifically at India, um, they're not used to the macadamia nut. It's still a very untapped um, population that we need to, to, to move in. Um, and we do hope in future that we start tapping into India. Um, they are consuming nuts, definitely, but they're not uh, familiar with the macadamia nuts. So in future, we will definitely look to explore, to go to other countries such as India, maybe Germany, etc. You know, and yeah. Well, here's an interesting comment from the chat from Ali A. Ali A says, it's interesting that I can easier find macadamia nuts from Israel than from South Africa. And Ali is in, is in South Africa. So is, is that true? I mean, well, I mean, you may not know the specific instance, but are macadamia nuts actually imported to South Africa from abroad? Well, Chris, according to my information, not. If I look at our stats and our data, we do import these very, very small volumes. And if it happens, it's so small and it comes from our neighboring countries, from neighboring African countries. It's I've not seen ever that we really import from an international market. So, so, yeah, it's weird that he says that, you know, he finds it easier in Israel. But what we need to keep in mind is that, um, the demand is so high and the supply is so low, you know, that's why you, you experience those problems, I'm assuming. That could be the case, yeah, in fact. It's interesting that he said that. But, you know, it's 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 always the case when, when you want something, you're looking for it, you just can't find it. For instance, yesterday I had Jack Miller from the Cape Party on my channel, and somebody in Cape Town says, um... I, I've never heard of the Cape Party. <laughs> so, so, well, that doesn't bode well for your party, Jack. <laughs> so, yeah. But speaking of domestic consumption, it, it's really low. I mean, 2%. Look, uh, Australia, I think the figure is 30% of macadamia nuts that are produced in Australia actually consume. That's among the highest level. So, I mean, basically, most people who produce macadamia nuts are exporting to markets around the world where they don't grow them. But Australia, the domestic consumption is a bit higher. And of course, that that should help them with the vagaries of currency fluctuations and market conditions, commodity prices. But but I would imagine that the South African economy not is very vulnerable to those price swings. Yes, Chris. I, I, well, currently, we've been very lucky that we don't didn't experience, you know, severe price swings. Uh, things are positive, even during the COVID period. Um, but the main thing is that um, in our case, the growers obviously don't market their product. It's the processors or handlers, how we call it. And they look at the markets where they want to go to. And because of this demand that's so high, um, there wasn't even a need yet to look at our local market, you know, and start introducing the nut in the local market. Um, because it, once again, the, the currency, South African currency, is so, so low at this stage. 
Well, that's great for me when I can travel, but because of the 72-hour requirement for a negative COVID test, I can't get to South Africa within 72 hours, so I can't travel. But when I can travel again, hopefully soon, um, I'll take advantage of the low currency. <laughs> we definitely come. But so, we can swing you and convert you into a macadamia nut eater. So please do, Chris. <laughs> well, I'm a massive hazelnut fan, not from eating the hazelnut themselves, but from eating Nutella. So, <laughs> obviously, me too. <laughs> So in, in the huh. chat, uh, Lee Roberts says, says, where in South Africa do you grow the nuts? Well, the nuts are grown all over the country, but but the three major provinces are Mpumalanga, Limpopo, and KZN. Um, and I believe that's because the environment is better suited. Is, is that accurate? You're 100% correct, um, Chris. That it's uh, Mostly at this stage, if we look at it's Mpumalanga, Limpopo, KZN, we've got North Coast, South Coast. Um, and then a very small percentage that we're seeing is happening in the Cape, um, the, uh, in the eastern and southern Cape as well. They, they've started small volumes of plantings. So, yes, that's mainly where um, we at this stage are producing macadamia nuts. Now, I, I think it's a fair statement, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong about this one, Elisa, but uh, it's a fair statement to say that this is really a relatively new industry. It's not something that South Africans were very much involved in before the new dispensation. So after 1994 or the turn of the century, roughly that time frame, is when this market developed in South Africa, and it's almost like a new industry. Is that accurate? If I compare it to other commodities, you know, like the fruit, the citrus, etc., then obviously we definitely are very relative, uh, uh, relatively new um, uh, farming operations, if I can call it, or going into a new crop, you know, and expanding it. So, yes, we're definitely new, um, and that's why there's still a lot that we need to do um, in terms of going forward, in terms of what we need to do in terms of research, development, etc., well, I think it's very interesting because at a time when there's a lot of economic challenges in South Africa, it sounds like this industry has made a lot of progress in a short period of time. Now, now the industry is not without challenges, but there are also advantages. And, and this is, again, why I'll need you to correct me if I get it wrong. But as I understand it, the macadamia nut industry, uh, in order to start it, it cost about 100,000 rand per hectare in order to plant a grove. And so, But you can make as much as 375,000 rand off a hectare once trees mature and start producing. Now, that's the upside, I imagine. I'm sure it's lower than that in many cases. Uh, but you don't normally, although this year I think there was a problem, but you don't normally have trouble with pest and disease for the most part. Like a lot of crops are very vulnerable. And so it's, uh, it, it's, it's a, it's, it seems like a, a, a product that lends itself to successful production. Yes, um, maybe we do. To a certain extent, we definitely have problems with pests and disease. Um, if I look at the reason we might talk about our crop for this year, um, a, a lot of impacts that we experienced was related to pests and disease. Um, if I look at only at the stink buck, you know, the estimated losses was over 181 million. Um, that was experienced due to this pest. So we do have pest and disease, and that's why from SAMEC or Macadamia South Africa, um, we spend 50% of our budget on research um, because it's so important to look at, you know, natural way to work with nature um, and to timely prevent, you know, um, pests going into the orchard and influencing um, the quality of the crop um, as well as the volumes. No, it's, it's uh, the stink bug. We have those too. Those are nasty little buggers. I don't, no pun intended. <laughs> nasty little buggers. But uh, is that so? One hundred eighty-one million rand in nut loss to the stink bug. Wow, that's that's. Now, are the are they concentrated in a particular region, or do you find it all over the country? 
We mostly find it in one province where we have, have, have a huge problem, if I can say it in that extent, to a bigger degree and then to a lesser degree in some of the other regions. So, um, but there's a host of, um, you know, of, of pests that we look after. But if I, this one specifically, we quantify in terms of monetary value and we realize, you know, we need to do something in future. So we, we've got quite a few research projects going on with universities to understand this thing back and how we can naturally, you know, um, work towards making sure that we prevent them. And it's not all about spraying, you know, we work with mother nature. So, yeah. Now, a lot of people always get wrapped around the axle from a political standpoint about diversity and and, and, and they, they consider diversity one of these, one of those, one of these, one of, we got a man, we got a woman, we got a black, we got a white, we got a brown, we got a Jew, we got a Muslim. That's not diversity. That, that's uh, that's just uh, one of these and one of those. True diversity is diversity of thought and diversity of experience. But but I can't help but notice when I look at the website for, for the Growers Association that um, it looks like almost everybody with the organization is a woman. Are men allowed to play in the macadamia? I just want to know because if I can't be part of the team, I need to know up front. <laughs> uh, yes, Chris, no. Um, yes, we're mostly females that's running the commodity organization or responsible for strategic objectives that's set by our board. Um, I can maybe only compliment, you know, the board that um, was open enough to understand, you know, that the best person needs to be hired, not um, looking at you know, physically, you're female, you know, and that they're open-minded. So I can only applaud them um, for doing that and with the rest of our lots of females working there and doing a great job on this side. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's fantastic. I, I can agree with that 100%. You hire the best person for the job. But if all the best people are women, I'm getting a little bit nervous here because I might not be able to get a job. <laughs> No, at least we've got two feet, two miles. So there's some balance happening. <laughs> okay, well then, then you won't need my help. I, I help. I was going to say if 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 you if you need a token mail, I'll sign up. But you already have. <laughs> no, but seriously, no. Uh, it is. I think it's interesting because I mean, uh, when we say traditional, I mean the world over. Traditionally, you look at farmers, and you and even though women are deeply involved in farming, especially in Africa, uh, especially in East Africa, lots of women are farming. But when we think of farmers, especially in a commercial sense, you think of male. Uh, and oftentimes a white male. Um, so it's interesting when I went to your website to see all these women involved in the Growers Association and making decisions, strategic decisions, about which direction the industry is going. And um, I, I like what you said, that the board picked the best people. So that, that's pretty awesome. Uh, now, the people that are that are with your association, um, are they, I assume that they're coming from the macadamia nut industry or maybe they even have farms themselves? Or is that the norm? Or do you just have people that are just uh, smart people you hire off the street to come in and, and bring expertise in? Yeah, if we look at um, from Samex side, we, our members um, are mostly obviously we're a commodity organisation, so we've got just over six hundred farmers, and then we've got an additional two hundred members that consist of people in the value chain, like your nurseries, your processors, your handlers, and associate members like banks that will obviously be interested in what's happening. Um, so, yes, that's mainly um, how that consists. But the key aspect, um, if we look at our board, um, obviously the SAMIC board is directors. We've got six directors, um, which is farmers themselves. It's very crucial that farmers are, you know, strategically overseeing what's happening. And we also got currently one external director 
um, that's also there to make sure that, you know, people are there for the greater good of the industry and not for their own benefit. So that's currently how our structure operates. Um, well, if, if, if you're in the Northern Cape, for instance, and, and you want to have a successful agricultural uh, venture, you're probably going to have to have sheep. And you're probably gonna you're probably gonna need you know ten thousand hectares at a minimum just so you can feed your family, but with with macadamia nuts, given the high value of them and the export market, uh, if I wanted to walk into the macadamia nut industry or say a friend of mine who's Kosa uh, who wants to become a macadamia nut grower, we we get some land. Um, what's a what's a reasonable amount of land we need to just be profitable, survive, and make a living? Not not to become wealthy or something like that. Would we need a hundred hectares or fifty hectares? Um, what size w- would it take? If I look at our small-scale farmers, um, we've got just over 200 small-scale farmers, you know, and their farms isn't that big, you know. Some of them only planted like four to five hectares. Some of them planted 10 hectares. So it's a difficult um, question to answer because obviously the end result is how good is each hectare? Is the quality exceptionally well? You're getting, you know, the right prices, there's no problem. So it's a difficult answer to say what would be the minimum because it's going to depend on your current hectares, how profitable they are. And if they're not, then you're going to need to expand just to try and and make some money. But if I look at our small-scale farmers, we've got a lot of them that's got less than 10 hectares that's very self-sustainable, you know, and able to not only sell in um, their community, but take it to... Uh, processors and the processor sells to them. Well, yeah, I guess it is kind of a hard question to answer, but I mean, so, but it sounds like you can be a small scale grower and survive off of this industry without a lot of land. Does, Does that seem reasonably accurate? Yes, at the end of the day, definitely you want to be bigger, seeing that you've got more hectares than 10. But um, I'm just saying that a lot of them are are bypassing with that and still, you know, living a decent life but obviously i would agree with you that you need much more acres than that gotcha well uh, i'm gonna um, put you on the spot here nothing to do with the macadamia nut industry and nothing to do with anything else but uh, i need some help here listen uh the problem here is uh and uh while i while i do understand it and i can listen to it and read it and understand afrikaans uh, my pronunciation can be very poor at times and uh, we have an, uh, an Afrikaner who's living here in Pennsylvania, whose nickname is in the chat. And people are always giving me a go when I pronounce her name. So I'm going to ask you, how would you pronounce this name? Pecky. 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 Pecky, yeah. All right. There we go. See, that's completely different than the other person who speaks Afrikaans told me. There you go. They're always pulling my leg. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you sign Pucky, you are signing it perfectly. <laughs> oh, there you go. See, that's they keep pulling my leg. They're like, it's Pucky, it's Pecky, it's Pucky. Come on, man. You're just having Pucky. fun with me. It's like the people like, I can't hear your show. And then I go on five different devices and play the show back and I hear it perfectly fine. Turn your volume up. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing, definitely. <laughs> Definitely the case. But uh, she just asked a question. Let me ask the question she had. I was going to get to this in a little bit, but let me get to it now. So one of the, the challenges I've read about the industry is that one of the things that helps constrain, excuse me, <clears throat> helps constrain the domestic consumption, at least according to some analysts, is that there is theft of lower quality nuts. Uh, I would presume ones that are either leftovers or not not taken to market by the growers because you want the best quality to get the highest value, and that there's theft of nuts. So she asked a question. She said, uh, "Can you ask her to tell us what security measures the macadamia nut farmers now have to take? The product value is now so high that they have much higher theft and armed robberies." 
do you actually have armed robberies? I that was unaware of that. That's pretty frightening. And and when I say armed robberies, is that when the trucks drive away to go to the to take stuff to market and people are being robbed, or what's happening? Yes. Theft is um, definitely a big problem. It's a big problem in our country overall. Um, but if we look at the macadamia industry, and like you said, you know, you're sitting with a very, very high um, value crop. Um, so it is a huge problem. And from farmer's side, they need to invest heavily, heavily on in terms of putting extra security guards, fencing, um, cameras on their farms to, to try and mitigate this risk. But what we've seen um, with our investigations is very difficult because often um, the whole process is like a supply chain. It starts from the farm worker going to the bucky or the truck driver, going to the person who's going to be the agent selling it um, eventually, whether it's exported or sold on the local market. Um, and like you said, yes, there's, there's quite severe cases where they know the nuts were harvested and overnight they will be they will be armed robbers, you know. But luckily that's that's the exceptional case, um, if I can call it like that. Um, but there's definitely huge problems that we from Macadamia South Africa try to work with the police services to escalate, you know, this this big problem that we've got. And um that it will continue to increase, obviously, as prices go on. And if you look at the South Africa in a whole, there's a lot of um, poverty. Um, a lot of people don't have jobs, you know. So there's a lot. There's a holistic thing that needs to be resolved in order to resolve thefts on farms. But it definitely costs the farmers a lot of money. Um, and the other problem as well is you sit now with a with a product that enters the market that was um, processed very unhygienically. You know, if you yeah. think about how it's done at a processing plant and me sitting here and trying to open the nuts with my dirty hands, you know, so there's a half risk to obviously to our consumers that, that ends up eating that. So it's something from, from Macadamia South Africa side, we try to manage and mitigate by working with government. Um, but it's not close to a point where it's it's going to be resolved in the next month or two. Well, Bongani, Bongani Nguenia uh, has asked me, what if she's pulling you, also pulling your leg about the pronunciation? He's being a little cheeky. I got a couple people in the chat being cheeky. But all I got to say, Bongani Nguenia, is that it's funny how I can pronounce your name correctly, yet I can't forget an Afrikaner's name correctly. You know, so what does that say? <laughs> and then, and then um, Janotto Rose is being cheeky, too. He wanted me to ask you if you're using Tresemme. Don't answer that question, Liesl. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Anyway, so um yeah, I haven't been to clicks in a while, but anyway, just saying. <laughs> anyway, but uh yeah, so uh folks, you're you're listening to Chris White Africa on the Adobe Africa channel here on Thanksgiving Day in the United States, a national holiday, one in which um it's uh, kind of a subdued holiday this year for a number of reasons, but nonetheless it is Thanksgiving and you'll notice the wallpaper behind us is something a little bit different for Thanksgiving. My special feature guest today is Liesl Pretorius, who is the CEO of the Macadamia Growers Association, SAMIC in South Africa, S A M. AC. And we're talking about the macadamia nut industry. Ladies and gentlemen, for once, we're talking about something in South Africa that it leads the world in. That's a good news story. Yes, you know, South Africa has more HIV positive people than any country in the world. That's sad news. South Africa has more COVID-19 confirmed cases than any country in all of Africa. That's sad news. But let's talk about, and I also lead the world in platinum production. 
that's kind of good though. Uh, but this is really good. Macadamia nuts, a high value product, which doesn't take a lot of space to do it. It sounds like quite a um, unusual uh, group of people who are involved in the industry, at least uh, working with this association. So let's shift a little bit and I'll ask Liesl about that. What about the growers? You talked about 600 growers or farmers, if whichever term we want to use there. About 200 of them are small scale. I'm going to guess that most of those are, are black South African growers, the, the small scale ones who are not traditional. Um, you're, you're larger than the tobacco industry in South Africa. If you have 600 growers, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Chris, we're quite lucky and I want to say thankful, you know, even with our small scale farmers, our black farmers, you know, we're quite thankful that they, they're venturing into this space because of the, the opportunity in terms of money value and the money value that goes back into the, um, you know, immediate um, economy. So um, we've got a lot of farmers and uh, we do a lot of aspects to assist our small-scale farmers as well to make sure they become commercial. Um, so we've got a lot of program, programs that we run to ensure we enhance skills. Um, we provide in um, on certain conditions financial assistance. So we've got a big drive to make sure that our small black-scale farmers become commercial and we we are seen as a very inclusive industry. That That's our ultimate dream. No, it's, it's a very interesting. And, and it's, uh, it's also bears truth to a statement I've made in a few other industries. It's interesting that uh, farmers themselves in the actual industry tend to be the ones that provide, uh, not, not to get into politics, but just to state facts here, tend to be the ones who provide much more in the form of extension service assistance, helping people with grants, and also know-how and knowledge to helping um, uh, I don't want to say non-traditional, that's not the right term, but but new aspiring farmers. How's that? New aspiring farmers, that's probably a better term, which are overwhelmingly black is what we're talking about. So um, new aspiring farmers seem to get a lot more help from people already in the farming industry who are their competitors than they do from the government. And that's uh, that's got to be frustrating for new aspiring farmers and for the industry too. Not just your industry, but the tobacco industry, the the um, the maize industry, uh, dairy, all that stuff. It's, it is quite, I think, an interesting phenomenon that that the government doesn't really help out that much when the government's stated goal is to get more um, new and aspiring farmers into the industry. <clears throat> so uh, what I did want to say is um, with the um, with the crop, the the theft. Now, I, I, actually, before I get to that, um, I guess we have a ringer here. Okay, so let's. Uh, oh. Okay, so whether it's peaky, pikey, pucky, whatever it is, there, um, she's a ringer. It turns out, it turns out she's a ringer because I just saw her comment there, and it's it's not a surprise why she asked such a good cogent question on this. Turns out that while she's in Pennsylvania, her family lives in Pumalanga, and they're macadamia nut farmers. <laughs> and she says. She says, right after harvesting to extra security for the transport and trucks. So, okay. So we've got a ringer here, folks. Uh, we've got an insider from the macadamia nut industry who's a regular viewer of Chris White Africa, and we didn't even know. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. <laughs> well, let me ask Let me, let me me ask you this very quickly. This, um, uh, how did you get into macadamia nuts? I mean, look, I mean, I didn't rock, uh, roll out of bed or rock up, you know, somewhere and go, I want to grow macadamia nuts. I mean, that's that's... Uh, I, I fell into the dairy industry because I didn't have a choice. I was a teenager and that was my task. <laughs> yeah, I fell into the industry about, I would say about 14 years ago. Um, I was also working in um, the fruit and veg and livestock and game industry. Um, so that obviously gave me the exposure about, you know, the farming community and what it means, market market access. So, um, so when they established in 2018 Macadamia South Africa, um, I assumed they obviously were looking for somebody with previous experience on, 
you know, establishing a new organization, but definitely having knowledge about forms. You know, it's critical that you understand formers and, and what you need to do and provide to them. So that's just in a short nutshell how I ended up um, in this very thankful industry, to be honest, where I'm currently. <laughs> So obviously you must have some affinity for farming, uh, otherwise you wouldn't you wouldn't be sticking with us. Yes, definitely. I love the farming and nature. It's just awesome, to be honest. No, <laughs> it's better than city life. <laughs> well, I can't disagree with that. <laughs> not not in the least. Uh, city may be a nice place to visit on occasion, but I'm not a fan of living there. I live in a peri-urban environment myself. I walk out of my house and within five minutes, I'm in the woods, just, you know, right, right, actually less than that if I want to go down to the creek, but it just gets muddy there. So I go the other direction towards the mountain. But no, I absolutely understand that. That's definitely, um, definitely a different uh, approach to life in the countryside. Um, it's, uh, but the macadamia nuts, it's, it's interesting that, um, that you got into that business. Now, you, I didn't realize this, but you said the Growers Association was just founded in, in 2018. Is that correct? Yes. Um it was actually, there was, a, they call it um, SAMEG, a macadamia organization previously, um, but it was under an umbrella organization, which were also looking after other commodities. And then in, I think in 2017, farmers felt the need because the crop was growing so much that they needed more a dedicated team um, and a dedicated organization to look at the future of macadamia. So the... Um, we were registered as a non-profit organization in November 2018. So officially, um, even myself, um, the, the organization still is actually in the non-profit organization sense still relatively new, even though there was in the past a voluntary organization that did amazing work as well. But um, being more centered only on one commodity makes it just um, better to look at the future of macadamia farmers. Now, people are guessing in the chat. Hank is asking, Piki, uh, is your family maybe Marais? If so, I know Lizette. <laughs> you know the thing about South Africa, it's like Botswana. It's a small town country. You know, it's uh, if you know somebody, because because the different ethnicities and, and the different groupings of people in South Africa, if you know one person, odds are you probably know someone else. It's, it's really easy. Now, that's that's obviously easier in Botswana, but it, there's only two million people. But in South Africa, that really is the case. Oh, do you know so? Yeah, I know so-and-so. And next thing you know, you're, you're connected. You know, six degrees of separation become two degrees. It's quite fascinating. So, yeah, in fact, there may be some people that know each other here so <laughs> so she, she says extra security measures had to be taken since covid nonsense at the farm more attempts of theft on the farm yeah i, I can imagine that um people are hungry um you know you know a lot of uh there's a lot not, not not to get too far from this but a lot of people talk about you know the reason there's a lot of theft is because of poverty uh in a general sense i disagree with that having grown up in poverty never stolen from anybody and gone without food most people that i know that are poor are honorable and they're not trying to steal from other people it's only desperation that pushes people and and we've seen in covid 19 with the lockdown we've seen desperation particularly in the eastern cape i mean reports of kids eating grass it's just it's horrific so so one could um not excuse but certainly understand that theft might be up in the during the the covid 19 and is that the fact in fact the case have you seen larger theft taking place during the lockdown than previously Chris, I want to say not really, maybe to a certain small percentage degree, but like you said, you know, there's various reasons for stealing, you know, um, a lot of people lost their jobs. Um, I think we're one of the countries with the highest um, percentage of unemployed people. Um, and obviously you need to feed, but uh, another definite reason is the lucrative prices. Um, I mean, it's a get rich scheme. 
Um, if I look at um, where we've investigated theft, we see syndicates working together. And those syndicates, if you look at the houses, the cars, whatever, you can see they are living exclusively rich lives, you know. So I agree with you that not everything should be centered around uh, poverty and being unemployed, but there's also people just that's just crooks, you know. They are just in there for the money in their own pocket um, and not thinking um, about the ripple effect because what we need to keep in mind is if, if somebody steals on a farm, it means that farmer is losing the income that can go back to the community. You would have possibly hired another person in the community. Um, there's um, tax evasion, that evasion that goes back into government's pocket that assists people. So it's, it's a quite a ripple effect that goes back into it that you're actually stealing from somebody in the community that could have had a job or could have been assisted by government via the VAT that's paid, et cetera. So, yeah, it's sad, but um, that's the reality. Yeah. No, that's a good point. People people often overlook and they dismiss. That's why I always, uh, I really am disturbed because I hear this particularly in Africa because I spend so much time in Africa. Well, you have to understand the reason there's, there's crime is because of poverty. No, no, no. That's not why there's crime. Um, unless people are desperate, they're not generally criminals. But there are always criminals who take advantage of people, whether they have money or not. And the ripple effect of that, as you say, when, when you steal the nuts from a producer who sells them on a proper market and exports them, there is, there is revenue that comes in. They pay taxes on that. They hire people who work, who pay income taxes and buy things and pay value-added tax. And that money gets into the state's coffers so it can provide services, fix roads and highways and bridges and provide unemployment insurance and things like that. And when you steal that, like uh, say dodgy cigarettes under lockdown during a tobacco ban and you sell dodgy cigarettes of unknown origin, who knows if they've got mercury or, or asbestos in them, you know, and people are still smoking them and putting their health at risk. They're already at risk smoking, but, you know, they're really at risk when they're smoking dodgy cigarettes. But uh, the same sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. There is a knock-on effect that um, criminals either don't care about or and others who try to excuse away the crime don't appreciate because they're either not particularly well-informed or they just... I don't know, maybe they're, they're covering up. It just, but it is frustrating. So um, when it comes to, uh, well, there was a question here from Elizabeth. She said, uh, macadamia, what did she say? Sorry, what's the export percentage versus local sales? We've already covered that. Um, it's 2% uh, of the, the crop is sold in South Africa and 98% is exported, which makes the, the market very vulnerable to commodity swings. So um, let's ask this question. I think this is a good one here too. So uh, what's the growing season or is there a growing season? Can you grow year round in certain parts of the country or is it seasonal? Um, yeah, it's seasonal in South Africa. Obviously, um, we start harvesting from March to about, I want to say, July, August. It depends, obviously, you know, the cultivar um, tree that you've got um, in the ground. So... That's mainly our harvesting period, and um, we see our flowering period taking place now, or starting to take place. Um, so that's basically our cycle, um, and it's very important for us as well to to, to monitor the cycle, and um, because it reflects back to what we do in terms of um, integrated pest management. You know, how do we deal with those things? How do we prepare our orchards to be ready for a better crop next year? Um, um, so yeah, that's basically our uh, seasonal. So really, March to July is when you're harvesting the macadamia nuts for the most part. Yeah, I would say the most. Yes. 
Okay. No, I, I was curious because I mean, there's parts of the of the of the country that are you know sub subtropical like KZN down on the coast. I don't know if you grow them there, and maybe you could grow them year round. Or, but you know, some plants just regardless of the season or regardless of the weather, if it's consistent, they'll only bear fruit at certain times. So now, now, do you rely on um, honeybees to pollinate, or is that or do bees pollinate? Is that important for the industry? Definitely, it's very important for us, and that's why um, if we look at last year. Um, um, due to the COVID, it was a bit difficult this year, but last year we run quite a few um, bee forums, meetings with farmers where um, our experts in the bee industry came out, educate farmers about the bees, you know, when, when do you need them, um, the benefit of cross-pollination. So definitely, um, I think bees as a pollinator is a crucial aspect in macadamia. So um, we much focus on it, and a lot of our communication that goes out to our farmers is related to how do we work with bees um, and the benefits of doing so. So, yeah. Well, here in the States, of course, uh, and in Europe, the European honeybee does the, the bulk of the work for us when it comes to that sort of thing. It was imported from Europe way back when, centuries ago, and they've, made, they've transformed the, the environment here in the United States, making it possible to have orchards and, and nut groves all over the country. So in California, of course, we have this monoculture where you see thousands and thousands of acres of just almond trees. And um, some people, some analysts attribute that to be one of the reasons for colony collapse disorder. We've had big problems with colony collapse disorder with bees here in the U.S. and in Europe. Is it a problem in South Africa? Do you have, do you have these problems with losing bees or is that something that you've been uh, able to avoid? I think if I look at South Africa, a key aspect for us is that um, we've got like a bee um, organization, which we work very close with. Um, the main thing is to make sure that when farmers spray pesticide, um, to make sure, you know, where, when do they spray, when is the bees active, um, when is the bees removed. Um, and that's why on a research level, we look at biological control as well to stop the pesticide. So, um, yes, we do um, have a occasional odd um, concern about spraying taking place in the home to bees. But I think macadamia farmers in general is... Um, responsible you know and trying to do it with with mother nature well listen i have to say that if nothing else this 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 discussion so far this morning has been very profitable for me from the standpoint that uh she just disclosed a secret here so peaky pikey pucky she just said that all right all right i'll let you in on a little secret my name is jessica so so now so now i'll just say jessica and i'll be off the hook but it's okay don't worry about it, jessica because on this channel we rename we, we, we rename our viewers all the time for instance if you happen to know deborah olivier who comes on the channel we actually call her deborah labaskakni we just do that so that's just the way we do things <laughs> south african surname <laughs> there, well yeah well she is south african so it's a it's it's a little it's a story to it one day people were asking about surnames and anyway so uh, we, I renamed her Deborah Lavascockney, and so she gets a kick out of whenever she comes up. But uh, all right, so so listen, Lisa, this is the part I wanted to get to. This is okay. I never grew up on on an orchard. Uh, orchards were nearby when I lived on a farm, but we had a dairy farm. So um, and we had maize and and garden crops and things like that. But anyway, so I can imagine growing up on on a, um, a macadamia nut orchard. I can, and this is what I'm thinking. So for those who don't know how they harvest them, you ought to see these automated machines that go out. They they go out. And they look like forklifts and they go to the tree and they grab it by the trunk and they, and they shake the tree like this and all the nuts come falling out. And if I was a child growing up on a macadamia nut orchard, I would be thinking when that happened, I'd be out there underneath trying to dodge all the nuts dropping on my head. So um, that is in fact how they, they, they harvest the nuts, correct? 
Yes, it is. It is definitely. It's it's like and, watching yeah. it's like watching one of those nineteen seventies or nineteen thirties movies where they put the belt on somebody like that's going to cause you to lose extra pounds off your waist. It, it reminds me of that, except that when people do that in those films, nothing falls off, thankfully. But but the nuts do fall out of the tree. <laughs> that's it. That's the way they do it, definitely. <laughs> so, is there an optimal point? I mean, how how does a grower know when the, the right? I mean, because you know, I can look. Okay, nuts are falling off the tree. I better get out and do this now and shake them down. Or do you do it when they're still green? And and uh, so, how do you know? I mean, do you just guess or you just know because you're good at it? <laughs> I think most of the farmers know when exactly to take. You know, when is the nuts um, you know ready to be harvested? Not all the nuts obviously fall. You need to spray them with um, to make sure that they are ready. Um, but there's various factors that the farmers look after before they decide to harvest. Because if you harvest too soon, then obviously you're going to sit with nuts that's not ready. Um, so, and that also is dependable on what type of cultivar, what type of tree do you have, you know. So there's a variable things that they're looking at in terms of when to harvest. Um, but obviously, they've got the expertise and knowing which orchard of them, which cultivar is ready for, for harvesting. Okay. Well, I was serious about that. I love watching those videos of those trees being shaken. It's, 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 it's entertaining. It's better, than what, it's better than most of the offerings that MNET has. So if you're watching TV. <laughs> I agree with you there. DSTV as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, oh! Don't get me started. Netflix. They they've increased my prices six times in three years uh, for the yeah. same service, and they are not improving the quality of it. And so I think it's just to pay for Barack Obama's salary. That's why they keep raising it on me because <laughs> he's Ooh, he's with Netflix now. So <laughs> yeah, no. you made me you made me lose my point there. You made me laugh so hard I forgot <laughs> what my next question was. <laughs> You're now upset about Netflix, yeah? No, no, no. It was not about Netflix. It was it was about macadamia. So. Oh, that's what it was. I remember now. Okay. So um, and this is going to be a uh, kind of a, a, a uh, clandestine, subtle pro-America, anti-China, even though I don't I don't beat up on China, but that's okay. So so this is a serious question. Uh, the macadamia nut industry, does it take advantage or a full advantage of the Africa Growth and Opportunity Act to ship your products to the U.S. duty-free? Are you able to get your products in here duty-free? Yes, we are. We are currently under the trade agreement that we've got, so we're very thankful. Um, we obviously, from our side, with your elections, monitored very closely to see what happened, because um, that could influence, you know, that that lucrative trade agreement. So we definitely. The last part of what you said was cut off. There was a break. Uh, you said that definitely could do something. No, we're definitely making use of the trade agreement, you know, the benefits that we derive out of it. And we're thankful, you know, obviously to U.S. for that. Well, uh, just a word of caution uh, as I offer advice to the business world is um, look at the potential of losing that advantage because with the expropriation without compensation uh, bill that's before parliament, if that fact that becomes law, uh, South Africa invalidates its participation to Goa because it no longer respects property rights. So there's a real possibility that, uh, depending on whoever the president is or the Congress, the Congress would take action, uh, but the president would have to sign it. It'd be a very, very real possibility that South Africa could lose that advantage sometime in the next couple of years, which would be unfortunate for the $20 billion of trade between the two countries. So hopefully it won't come to that. But anyway, just a heads up, just so you're making plans and you're aware of it. <laughs>
Now, we are first from our side, definitely working with government, and we had um, several engagements already about the go agreement so that we not catch overnight, like you said, you know. So we've got our eyes open and let's hope for the best. Well, that's good news. But the, the, the really good news, though, is that even if you no longer get the uh, tariff advantage, our tariffs aren't particularly high. Now, I can't say the same thing about China. As I recall, I looked at, they, they were charging 19% tariff for macadamia nuts coming into China. Uh, that has been lowered to 12% recently, if, if that's still a correct figure. But 12% tariff for nuts? What's that about other than crowding out foreign competition? Yeah, like you said, Chris, until about um, 2018, it was 19%. And then it was in 2018, reduced to 12%. Um, yeah, that's that's quite one of our biggest drive um, representing growers or producers is to make sure that we start reducing that import levy um, of 12. If we compete with Australia, um, I think they are duty free at this stage. Um, so we've been working very closely with our um, government departments. With, we've got our local BRICS council as well. Um, to see how and what can we do um, to lower that. But um, these type of um, things are quite difficult because obviously when you want, like, let's say, reduce the macadamia tariff, um, China is going to say, okay, reduce the textile industry, you know, and then that's got an impact on our textile industry. So those negotiations are very, very technical, very difficult. Um, but from our side, and what we've seen is it usually takes five to ten years before we are able to resolve or at least reduce. So um, we're actively trying from us, our side. Um, before um, COVID started, we, the Chinese government, we invited them over to us to start that engagement with our government. But um, obviously, unfortunately, due to COVID-19, they couldn't visit us. So there's a lot behind the scenes that we're busy on working and um, hoping that we reduce that tariff somewhere in the near future. Well, I would imagine that would be quite a boon for the industry if you could get rid of it altogether. That would make the product much, because it's already expensive. It's a dear product anyway, costly for people. And so I, I don't know if it's the right term, but it's not really a luxury or delicacy, but it, it kind of falls into that category for a lot of consumers. And with 12% tariff on top of that, that might push it out of the range of some consumers. So if you could get rid of that tariff, it's a good chance you could grow your market in China, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. Um, I still think, um, if you think about how many nuts we export to China, despite that this high level of import tariff, it tells you the demand is high for South Africa, high quality, good tasting nut. And I believe that's one of the driving forces in the future. If I look at the global figures, um, we currently estimating in the next 10 years by 2030, that the total global production will be almost 700,000 um, tons. So it tells you that, you know, one thing that we're definitely going to bank on is our high quality, good taste. And China, by keep on importing, it obviously tells you, you know, we're ticking off those boxes. No, absolutely. Uh, Lars Salas made a comment here unrelated to what we're talking about. He's talking about tariffs and he's talking about chicken industry. Lars Salas, tune in for the latest stream. If you're talking about the, the, the dispute between Barack Obama and South Africa when it came to the chicken industry, I'll set you straight on that.
a lot of myths, a lot of fairy tales coming out of Pretoria about that. Um, actually, it was protectionism. 60-75% tariffs are not reasonable in any industry, regardless of what's going on. And Americans were not dumping chicken in South Africa. We found a market for par chicken parts that Americans don't eat. By and large, we don't eat feet here, and we don't eat gizzards. Um, some people do, but very few. So we found a market for what was otherwise just being wasted, and we found a place to ship it. Our producers are much more, uh, much more efficient and far larger scale, and that's unfortunate for South Africa's poultry producers. But it's not my fault that they're inefficient. Anyway, I guess I did talk about it now instead of later. But anyway, <laughs> there you go. Sorry about that, Liesl. But I couldn't help myself there. It's uh, I'm, I'm a free market trader, uh, but I do appreciate the need to protect some industries, particularly nascent industries when you're trying to develop one. So um, I actually don't have difficulty with some tariffs at some times in some places. But in China's case, they're just being um, unfair in my view. That's, um, you know, we, we give duty-free access to countries in Africa for meeting governance standards. And um, it doesn't really cost us much, but it's a tremendous boon for African producers because of entering our market, which is the largest consumer market on the planet, the, 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 the most valuable consumer market on the planet, you can sell things like macadamia nuts at a premium and there's a market for it here. The fact that you don't have to pay tariffs makes it all that much more competitive. And uh, we actually charge Europeans tariffs for their products coming in here, whereas we give South Africans, Namibians, and Botswana duty-free access. And uh, it doesn't cost us a lot in terms of dollars, but it certainly helps out Africans develop their economy. And so I think it's a good idea. Whereas China is not trying to help others develop their economy. They're trying to protect their economy. And uh, they're well past the stage of being a, a low-income country. They're a middle-income country and the world's second largest economy. So anyway, not to beat up on China, just, uh, just having a little fun there with that. But uh, <clears throat> so... We've talked about the growing season. We've talked about the organization. Let's talk a little bit. Daniel Prinsloo is just subscribed. There either must be 27 Daniel Prinsloo to subscribe to my channel or that person keeps getting unsubscribed by YouTube because I keep seeing Daniel Prinsloo subscribe like once a week. Welcome, Daniel, if you're new, Daniel. Of course, I know it's a pretty common surname, but whenever I think of Prinsloo, I always think of Sandra Prinsloo and I think of the gods must be crazy. That's when I think of Prinsloo. That's my first thought. <laughs> she was an awesome actress. <laughs> <laughs> what a great movie. That was so funny. I was still laughing at that movie and the Coke bottle. What's this? <laughs> so let's, let me ask you about the association specifically. So, so you mentioned that you spend about half your budget on research, which is interesting. Um, and someone asked about what pest earlier, or what impact pests. We've already talked about that previously. The impact of pest is, does have a big impact in the industry, particularly this year. Originally, the, the, the season, I think, was projected beforehand at 66 1,000 tons was the expectation. Then it was downgraded to 53,000 in March, I think. And then later, I think the estimate was 49,000 tons. What did, the, what did the crop come in at? Do you have a figure on that or any estimates thus far? Or? Yes. Um, our latest survey um, shows that we're estimating about 46, just over 46,000 tons. So like you said, Chris, um, we were maybe over-optimistic in the early year of 2020. Um, and we were looking at figures like 62,000 tons, but currently our latest figures shows um, just over 46,000 tons. Um, but the host of aspect played a role why our tonnage is so low. Wow, uh, Daniel Prinsloo just gave a thousand rand super chat. Bye uh, bye, donkey, ekis patlos. Wow, wow! Thank you so much for that super chat. Obviously, an endorsement of 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 of, my, of the guest and the content. Thank you so much for that. Really appreciate that. That's that's awesome of you. Thank you, bye bye, donkey, for that. And it's it's what we call a stripper chat. There's no ch there's no there's no chat there. It's just like a, a donation, straight up donation. Oh, I'm humbled. Thank you so much for that. 
<laughs> thank you to my guests for for drawing people who, who are able to super chat in that fashion. It's awesome. So um, Daniel says it's the same Daniel. So you keep getting unsubscribed. Uh, not to go off on this, but YouTube does this to subscribers all the time. They, they they have a legitimate right to take people who have fake accounts off, and they do that. They scrub accounts, but they also keep taking off legitimate subscribers who and even paying members of my channel. People pay for membership, and they've been unsubscribed. They can still watch a channel, but they're not subscribed anymore. It's kind of crazy, but anyway. So. Anyway, um, uh, oh, Jessica is laughing because she said I'm I'm pratlos that I'm speechless. So, <laughs> did I get that right? Did, did I did I get it right? Did I say it, or is it close? Anyway, <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, because pratlos because in uh, oh like Daniel, uh, Daniel Prinzlo, I should have said because it's the same L L L S in there. Well, in German, it's sprachlos, so it wasn't too hard for me to figure it out. So. You know, so I tell people, I said, if you speak German and you speak uh, English fluently, you can learn Afrikaans. You may not be able to pronounce it, but you can learn it. Uh, because, I mean, you know, so the word in German for water is Wasser. In English, it's water. And in Afrikaans, it's water. <laughs> so, oh, well, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. I've seen with myself as well that I can sort of understand the message if uh -huh. I... If I so, yeah, it is <laughs> very well, one, close. One of my favorite sevens players is Justin Geduld. And, um, you know, people like, uh, you, what's that mean? I said, oh, it's easy. In German, it's Geduld. It means patience. <laughs> so, which is an Afrikaans name. Except it's Geduld in, Af in German. It's uh, Geduld in Afrikaans. It's a little bit different pronunciation. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I digress from the macadamia nut industry. Let's get back to that. <laughs> but but uh, so, um, so. We, what I was getting to is we got into the pest. Let's get back away from the pest. But um, and we talked about the production this year. But um, so research is a big part of what the association is doing. But also I, I would imagine and hope that you're doing marketing. Um, are you doing domestic marketing and or international marketing? And I suspect if you are, your focus is probably more on international. Um, currently, what we've done is we formed a World Macadamia organization with other producing countries like Australia, Kenya, um, Brazil, uh, Guatemala. Um, so we formed, we currently basically formally established the World Macadamia organization. And one of our main aims of this organization is to start with late 2021 um, with non origin marketing in countries where you know, there's great opportunity for cons consumption. So we aren't at this stage. If we talk about marketing, remember, um, growers tend to different processes and those processes market that product, their product. But from a commodity organization side, we have formed um, the World Macadamia Organization. And we are by, like I said, um, end of September next year to start with non-origin marketing through consumer awareness campaigns through educating them about the health benefits etc well that's 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 helpful to understand that so so the association sounds like it's even though it's just two years old is, is doing quite a bit for macadamia growers in south africa that's good to hear now we were talking earlier i asked a question about you know if i want to start an orchard in south africa but it's not simple as getting the land and, you know, I mean, with, with maize, I know what to do. I need to go out and plow, make sure it's well watered, make sure it has access to water. We have good rainfall, uh, use some pesticides at the right time, watch it grow, come out and get the harvester and, and harvest it. But with these trees, it's not like that. It's like an orchard. you got to plant them. It takes time and there's different methods to do it. You can do grafting, which will make it a little faster, as I understand. But it usually takes, uh, what, uh, four to five years after planting before you can actually get something out of the tree. So you're going to have five years of up to five years of unproductive use of that acreage. Is that correct? Yes. Um, 
And that's that's one of the main things, specifically if we look at our small-scale farmers and the ability to receive financing in this period, because you 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 fork out money and then you know you need to plant the trees, keep them healthy, fertilization, make sure sufficient water supply, etc. So much that you need to do, and they only start sort of um, producing nuts in year four or five, um, but only commercially after year 10. So basically, you can almost say by year 10 only, you're really going to see your profits if your quality is good enough. And what we encourage with our smaller farmers is that they make sure they also have a cash crop, if I can call it like that. So, you know, something that's got a quick turnaround time, you can quickly you know, plant, produce, and sell, and keep yourself alive, um, as well as make sufficient money for for the cost that you would need to lay out in, for example, for irrigation or fertilization, etc. So, yes, it takes quite some time, but um, thereafter, if you're lucky and everything goes well with the tree, um, then then I think you're in a positive um, spin, definitely. Well, that's what I was going to ask and suggest. Uh, my expectation would be that if you're a small-scale grower, that um, what you want to do is, is start out with um, a portion of your land and start to build the orchard and still have some sort of cash crop so you have something to live off of and, make, and make, meet your obligations until they come into production. Of course, what you're going to want to do then is like every year or every other year, plant more trees and keep growing that. Otherwise, you're going to get those and then they're going to, I don't know how long the trees last. I mean, do they last 10 or 15 or 20 years in nut production and then they stop? Or Because with rubber trees, typically it takes about five or six years or three to five years to start producing rubber and then they last for 25 years. How is it with macadamia trees? Chris, I'm not the expert on the oh, okay. area, but I would definitely say that if I look at our trees, um, we've got trees that's older than 40 years that's still producing, but it's not optimum production, um, meaning that those trees needs to be revitalized. You know, it's like, um, sad to say, but it's like when we get older, we need a bit of facials and whatever to keep ourselves looking better. The same, with our, the same with our older trees, you know, you need to start looking at how do you revitalize them to have optimum um, production and whether you want to invest in that financially or whether you're considering to um, rather take out and start planting new, uh, um, new trees. So, um, <coughs> excuse me, there's a, there's a question here from Willem Christian Steenkamp, and I don't really understand the question, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it out loud and see if it makes sense to you, but uh, I think you may need to re, re, rewrite it. Um, I think it's a question of Afrikaans English. So, uh, Chris, uh, can you ask her if they need to save land outside South Africa to start new plantations, lots of water? I don't understand what you're asking, Willem. Um, if you could re-ask, I don't know if that made sense to you, Liesl. Did, 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 does it make sense to you? Um, if I interpret the sentence is whether we've got sufficient land and maybe a question about water, um, I think, yeah, that's how I interpret the question. I would say we definitely land. I don't post at this stage. Um, and then in terms of water, um, we're thankful that, especially in the provinces where our macadamias are planted, that there's not... Too much um, in the one province, a bit, you know, there's a shift, but it's not that dramatically. Um, and that's why also from our side, we're currently busy with research studies to look at how much water does a tree really need, you know, can it be planted on dry land and you make sure the mother nature gives the trees water or if you do irrigate, you know, what is the maximum water that you need to, 
to provide the trees so that you don't unnecessarily overwater the trees. Um, that's going to have a negative spin off on, on nature as well. Well, that's actually an interesting question. Before we wrap up here shortly, I, I, I do want to ask that question. You know, uh, here in the U.S., we have weeping willows. I don't know if you're familiar with those trees where the, they have these long strands. Uh, they are notorious water consumers. They suck water like crazy. So so people have to be clever and not plant a weeping willow in your front yard because if you live, live in a place with a house and you put a weeping willow in your front yard, the odds are that its roots will find your water line and crush it and then suck all your water out. Um, so are, are macadamia trees big consumers of water or are they kind of a moderate? level or are they are, are, are they are they good in in dry environments i suspect they're not good in dry environments yeah chris it's, it's a mixture i would say you know there's some some macadamia um forms that goes very well in terms of dry land um but also in other cases irrigation is needed water supply is needed um and like i said we're currently busy with a study to establish you know what is the volume that macadamias need in comparison um, to other crops, and we're doing this study with the avocado guys. Um, so we're not finished with the research, but I will definitely not say it's not a high crop in terms of high volumes of water. Definitely not. All right, that's interesting. So before we head out of here, I just want to say that um, so macadamia nuts worldwide is like a $900 million a year market, which is pretty lucrative. And given that South Africa is the largest producer and exporter, then that's that's a good sign. Uh, and uh, it, you, if you get uh, people to lower their tariffs, and I don't know, in some East Asian countries, you might see even more growth in macadamia nut consumption. But um, one of the things that we didn't really talk about just very briefly here that's interesting is that uh, by and large, labor requirements are not particularly high when you compare it to other, other farming sectors uh, because it's, it's heavily automated and so you don't need a lot of labor. Does, does that help with, uh, with profitability, obviously? And uh, it also maybe it's, it's a hindrance when it comes to people trying to find work for others. But it's not an industry that requires a lot of labor. If I compare ourselves with um, Australia, um, we still use labor, you know, and it, for them it's extremely costly and they're more looking at mechanizing, et cetera. Um, we still do when it's harvesting seasons, um, even in the processing plants, we do have seasonal workers that comes in um, and compared to other countries, our labor cost is very low. So we do still have, um, we're not that mechanized um, in terms of um, not using labor. We still rely heavily on labor, which is a positive spin off if you think about our shortage um, in jobs out there. So definitely. Absolutely. But but does it make you less competitive? I, I imagine it might not have a major impact because the high value of the nuts, you can still be profitable, even if you have a higher labor um, commitment than, say, Australia or the U.S. Yes, it still makes us. It doesn't have an impact because the cost is so low compared to the all other production cost. Um, if you compare it with another form, let's say in Australia or Kenya or so. Well, folks, if you're interested in learning more about the South African Macadamia Nut Growers Association, the link is actually below the video. I just double-checked to make sure it was there. I updated it. You can find it below the video. Check it out. Um, and if you go to the webpage, you'll look up the uh, the organization's officers, and you'll see a lovely photograph of Liesl right there and all the other officers from the organization. Liesl, I want to thank you for coming on today, and, and, and I really appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. Um, just based on how difficult it was for us to get this scheduled, we've been trying for a while, and events kept coming up. You did invite me to your to – your, uh, 
um, live stream of some of the, the, the auction or something like that, but I, I couldn't get in. I don't know if I needed a password or something. So I, I was kind of disappointed. I really wanted to see that. So maybe next time I'll be able to get in. But uh, before we go, I'd like to give you an opportunity to share anything with us you'd like. I mean, it sounds to me like the macadamia nut industry in South Africa is a promising sector and that uh, it's an unusual sector and that a lot of different people, non-traditional people are involved in it. And um, it's lucrative and uh, it could be for, good for South Africa's uh, GDP growth if it is allowed to continue to grow. So uh, if, if you'd like to leave us any thoughts or comments about the, the industry. Um, I think from our side, we're very optimistic where the industry is going. Um, um, I think we also, I want to say it's also if we look at our local economy, um, it's a job creation opportunity. If you look at the crop, you know what it means and how much labor is needed and the money value that can be received that goes back into the community. So I think in closing remarks, um, we're proud of our farmers and what they've achieved over the years and the fact that they continue to grow um, and we continue to see um, good prices, which is obviously thankful to South African farmers producing quality. But Chris, from my side, I just want to say also thank you very much for the opportunity and um, I hope we have an, another chat soon. <laughs> No, absolutely. I look forward to it. Uh, I, I, uh, we definitely shall. Um, I, I'm fascinated by the industry now, and and uh, I've been saving, investing my money since I was the age of 18, and so I have a, a couple of shekels sitting on the side I can invest. So it does get my attention. It's a lucrative industry, and hmm, I might pay attention. Uh, Willem Christian Steenkamp uh, clarified his question. I think both of us misunderstood it. He was saying, in light of EWC, are there are they interested to start outside of South Africa where they can say have new plantations, labor's cheaper? Um, I, I think the problem with that, Willem, is that um, this organization represents all growers in South Africa. What you're talking about is if there's expropriation compensation, one would presume or assume that, that the white commercial producers would be the ones targeted by EWC, and that's just a portion of their members. They also have 600 growers, and 200 of them are largely black uh, uh, growers, if I'm not mistaken. So, so I don't think that the association is actually looking at that because they're focused on South Africa and not, uh, and not outside the country. Did, did I get it right, Liesl? 100%. Thank you. You said right. it perfect. No worries. Okay. But a fair question. Thanks for asking. Uh, that That's fine. Anyway, folks, uh, thanks a lot. Lisa, I'm going to ask you to go into the waiting room and I'm going to close out the stream and I'll, or you can just drop off and I'll give you a call back shortly just to touch base with you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. All right. All right. Bye, Donkey. It was my pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for being with us. Folks, that's Liesl Pretorius. And let me get the screen fixed here. <laughs> that's Liesl Pretorius uh, from the South African Academia Nut Growers Association. She's been my special feature guest here today on Thanksgiving Day in the United States. See that, folks? I'm working on Thanksgiving. By the way, uh, Daniel Prinslow, thank you so much for the super chat. Wow, that was awesome. I'm really appreciative of that. That's amazing. Thank you so much. That's very kind of you for your site African Rand. I really appreciate that. Brilliant. 1,000 Rand super chat. Stripper chat not even asking for it and thank you for your for your, your your persistence in remaining a subscriber to the channel i don't know why youtube does that i've had moderators who've been unsubscribed i've had paying members who've been unsubscribed and they don't have alias accounts they don't mess around the channel they're not fictional so it, it can be a little frustrating for youtube content creators uh some people's cha channels stagnate uh, and they stagnate because youtube is doing these things um look if you if you're if you're a troll or you create multiple accounts um, it's certainly reasonable for YouTube to delete your account or to take you away from a subscription. But when people are active on a channel, and Daniel, you've been on the channel frequently, so I don't know why they would do that. My apologies, but I don't control YouTube. And hopefully they'll clean up their act because it's it's counterproductive. You know, um, YouTube gets 30% of Super Chat and um, uh, revenue. 
they uh, get 45% of ad revenue. So when, when they censor people that aren't spewing hatred, that aren't advocating violence, who aren't misbehaving, who aren't denigrating other people, uh, or aren't doing dangerous uh, dangerous um, content, then it's kind of um, cutting their nose off to spite their face. But I guess they make so much money hand over fist that it really doesn't matter to them. Anyway, back to the topic at hand. Really grateful to my guest today, uh, Liesl Pretorius, and so grateful we were able to get together finally and do this conversation. It's a success story and a positive story for South Africa, ladies and gentlemen, which is often difficult to find these days. Finding success stories in South Africa can be like finding a diamond in a rough. In the rough. That doesn't mean there aren't success stories in South Africa. The press doesn't cover them. Um, who, who among you has seen something in the news about the macadamia nut industry? Please tell me. I've seen nothing. I, I came across this story idea on my own and decided to pursue it. Did a video on this back in August and then pursued someone in the industry to talk about it. So very exciting. Uh, good news. Anyway, thanks a lot, Liesl. Uh, bye bye, donkey. I appreciate it. And Daniel for the super chat. For everybody who watched the stream, thank you so much. Um, uh, Jessica says, have to go. Thank you for another insightful interview. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Jessica. And thank you for disclosing your name so I don't get embarrassed by saying peaky, pikey, pucky, pokey, <laughs> whichever it is. Anyway, thank you so much, folks. That's it. I'll be back on for the Night Owls edition. It'll be a Thanksgiving-themed Night Owls edition here in a little over about two and a half hours, um, 9.35 in South Africa and Botswana. And I think maybe it's the same time right now, so 9.35. And it will be at 2.35 Eastern Standard Time here in the U.S. Um, on this Thanksgiving Day 2020. God bless. Thank you very much for your support for the channel, for the Super Chats, for the, those who became subscribers during this, and also for the questions in the chat. Very good questions. Thanks a lot, folks. We're going to be out of here in just a second. I'm make sure I get all the cameras off so I don't screw this up. And you'll hear me talking as I give the closing. There we go. That's good. Look at is that beautiful? That's a lovely scene. A lovely scene. But here's a sneak peek of later. That's the one for later. Ooh, tune in for Thanksgiving stream in a little while. Anyway, folks, thanks a lot. We'll catch you here later on Chris White Africa. God bless and thank you for your support. Here we go. We're out of here.